Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're taking a look at the new DC film, Birds of Prey, or the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. We're also going to take a look at Netflix's Horse Girl, a new Alison Brie film. Uh, we're going to talk about the Oscars, of course, because that happened the 92nd Academy Awards, I think it was. We yep. had some big wins, some big losses, uh, lots of viewers, maybe not so many on television. And before we get to all that, we need to talk about the news. Of course, our first story this week, movies with theatrical releases are more likely to get streamed study shows. I'm going to be honest. I didn't actually read this before we started recording, but Andy has the scoop, so he's going <laughs> to tell right. us all about it. Uh, what's going on, Andy? Uh, there was uh, recently a new survey uh, commissioned by Ernst & Young and another organization um, about what what exactly is streaming doing to, uh, to numbers um, when it comes to theater. And they found that uh, people were 60% more likely to watch a certain uh, piece of property if it had a theatrical release. So, for instance, something like The Irishman, because it was getting a theatrical release, people were mo more likely to w also watch it on streaming. And really what the big takeaway was is that uh, streaming isn't as disruptive as people think because basically people that people that like to watch a lot on streaming also like to watch a lot on uh, in the theater and if, if you're not watching a lot on th in on a streaming service you're probably not watching a lot in the theater either so they're actually more related than people think it's funny uh, this really is starting starting to show this inverse effect of streaming films versus theatrical films right as soon as Netflix came out and they started getting people watching movies over there back in I don't know, a decade ago, theaters were like, what are we going to do? These are going to put us out of business. Now there's so many streaming services, you don't know what to watch. But when something comes out in a theater, that's a standout picture. That's that's one of like 10 options that's available at the movies. Suddenly, theaters are premium content versus right, streaming. Prestige. Right, there's, there's a level of class to it, and, and it's in an ivory tower. Like, it's a theatrical film you know it's going to be something really tremendous of course Netflix and the like have movies like that things like the Irishman and Roma marriage story movies that are very good that come to streaming service but so many movies come out over there it's hard for anything to really stand out and so if it's a theatrical release it automatically does right it, a absolutely that, that's I mean, when you think of the big tent poles in the summer, something like Avengers, everyone's in the theater, you go see it. And every if you're a big um, theater go, that, that means you're probably watching either on Disney Plus or, or Netflix when the shows, when the, sorry, their back catalog was on Netflix. Um, you're also watching the back catalog there. So this is actually kind of a positive sign for theaters. It's worth mentioning here, uh, this study also showed that younger viewers who are spending most of their time on things like YouTube are still going to the movies. In fact, they go to the movies more than most other people because they've got the time because they don't have a job. Uh, ages 13 <laughs> to 17 are streaming the most and seeing the most theatrical films. So for what it's worth, movies should probably still stick around in the PG-13 range. Maybe that's a problem with what's going on with Birds of Prey, but we'll talk about that in a minute. And... Don't don't discount don't don't discount theatrical films. They're they're still worth something. Just because there's so many streaming services out there doesn't mean that it's not worth going to the movies. Uh, our next story, a Knives Out sequel is officially happening. The Ryan Johnson Who Done It is getting a sequel. It's officially been greenlit from Lionsgate. Very exciting stuff. Andy's got the details. What do you know, Andy? 
Uh, so he recently said on a sh- on a some radio show that uh, Ryan Johnson did that there was going to be a sequel, but it's a little bit different than we think. So it's going to be more, I guess, kind of like an anthology where it, there's going to be a new cast, new setting, a new mystery. I think uh, Monsieur Benoit Blanc will be back, but uh, um, but everything else is going to be different, and so it's. It, you know, he wants it to be about different things uh, as well. Uh, he he has a, a really great quote in this this article that says, you know, the end of Knives Out isn't about figuring out who done it. It's the end of the film is Marta's story, the who's one of the main characters. It's her the end of her story is the end of the film. It's not necessarily about the mystery. It's about kind of its themes and these other things. So we're gonna get kind of a brand new picture, new themes, new cast, new new everything. It seems like. I think what's interesting about this is Knives Out, like you said, is the end of Marta's story, which is one of the characters in the film. It's not necessarily focused around Benoit Blanc, who is our, uh, probably, uh, really our, our through line into our sequel, right? That seems to be the one character that's going to be recri- reprised, Daniel Craig, um, which is great. He's a lot of fun, but like the first film doesn't really focus on him. He's in it. He's a he's a pivotal part of it all coming together, but it's not really his story. It's Marta's story. So that's part of what is so surprising about them doing a sequel to me. I'm so burnt out, man, on like comic book movies and everything being extended media. Everything has to have a teaser for what's coming next, or they have to tease a villain at the end, or has to have a post-credits scene or something about how it's all part of a bigger plan. And like Knives Out totally doesn't do that at all. It's just like, here's this one-off story that's really cool and we like it. And don't get me wrong, I want to see more. I'll go see another one. But it's just so refreshing to not have little breadcrumbs to, oh, there's going to be a sequel or they're setting up a universe and it just be its own movie. It, it reminds me of something like Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? That wasn't, that wasn't, Indiana Jones wasn't in the title. It was just this one movie off by itself. But then they made more and they made Indiana Jones a central character and you're on your way. So I hope, I don't know, maybe it reaches a prestige like that. We'll see. Yeah, I'm reminded of uh, one of my favorite anthology uh, trilogies, of course, the Vengeance trilogy, Old Boy, uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, and Lady Vengeance, all mm. by uh, Chan Woo Park uh, from the early 2000s. Um, and th- these were three films that had a central theme. In that case, it was Vengeance. But they were three very different movies. They shared some of the same actors, but this was pre-universe building, and they were not trying to do that. So I, it definitely can work. Um, and it would be exciting just to just get three really unique films, but in a, in like the whodunit genre. Yeah. So I, I'll be interested to see what they do. Like I said, I, I'll go see another one. I thought the first one was so smart and I really enjoyed it. Um, I don't know what everybody did. I definitely heard some folks who listened to the show who told me afterwards, like, it, it wasn't that good. It wasn't that. And I was like, yeah, I, I mean, your mileage may vary, I guess. But um, man, I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. We should talk about our last story, and this is one of those rare stories that we get to talk about the film we're reviewing before we actually review it. Uh, we're <laughs> yeah. about to hop into our Birds of Prey review, uh, and I'm going to be helming that one. But before we get to it, we have one more story here. Uh, Birds of Prey changes its title at movie theaters. Really strange. So I found this yesterday. Uh, this is one of those things that we just caught right before the show happens, which is really neat. Uh, apparently, Birds of Prey has not been doing so hot. At the movies, if you didn't hear about this. Uh, now, it still is the biggest film of the weekend, but it opened to only $33.2 million uh, in the domestic box office, which is real bad for a comic book movie. In fact, uh, apparently in DC's uh, in DC's repertoire of films, the only other one that's done worse is what, Jonah Hex? 
If anybody remembers yeah. that movie from like 2011 <laughs> starring Josh Brolin. Oh, a long time ago, yeah. Real bad, man. And and we need to talk about why that is. But before we do, one of the ways the studio has responded, Warner Brothers has reached out to theaters like AMC and Regal, two of the biggest theater chains in the world, and said online, you need to change the name of the movie from Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn to Harley Quinn, colon, Birds of Prey. Uh, in, I guess, an effort to bump up SEO and get more people to find it on the internet and see it. I- I'm, I'm not even really sure. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you think about this, Andy? Um, the title is definitely a problem. It's not the problem with the film. There's, it has a lot of other things. This could have worked with that kind of silly title, but on, on a basic kind of search engine, uh, you know, just notoriety level, you, you should have gone simpler. I mean, the, the other two films mentioned here, Deadpool and Joker are called just that Deadpool Joker. So you could have just been Harley Quinn or Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey something, but you came up with kind of this really long and, and complicated title, which I, which is in the spirit of the character, no doubt. Um, but definitely adds to some confusion. But like I said, at the same time, this movie has bigger problems than its title, man. Yeah. There's the, <sighs> And, we, and we'll talk about those in just a second. Like I said, we'll get into the full review. But before we jump into it, let's talk about this title for a second. Um, why is it Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn? Because if I had to guess, it's to try to distance it, distance it from set from Suicide Squad, right? Yeah, d- definitely that. And I mean, Suicide Squad is a problematic movie as well. Um, but it's got it's got a pretty sweet and short title, Suicide Squad. And even if you don't know what the Suicide Squad is, you were you know, over the course of their marketing campaign, you got introduced to kind of what exactly that was. Um, no one, this faces a similar thing where no one re- really knows who the birds of prey are. If you're not probably into, into reading comic books, uh, regularly. So that doesn't help it. But then again, this, this long and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn that it would have nice to been one or the other. It could have been like birds of play, prey, or, the fantastic, you know, kind of the how I learned to stop, whatever the Stanley Kubrick. I can't remember it. Right, uh, uh, Doctor Strange Love or how I stopped or or learned to stop worrying and love that mom. Or or even like uh, uh, Birdman from from two thousand exactly yeah sixteen, which was Birdman or the unexpected virtue of ignorance. Like clearly, it's going for something like that. A subtitle. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, it, it, yeah. No, yeah, you're right. It, it it was going for something like that, but it kind of became a little bit too complicated. Um. And yeah, and like from an SEO standpoint, having Harley Quinn at the very end of the title is a nightmare, especially when like we did, we abbreviated it. Yeah. And you're right. I definitely, I definitely introed the show saying it was or the, the fantabulous and you're right. It's and looking at it now, birds of prey and the fantabulous emancipation. Yeah. It's, it's misguided. And honestly, watching the trailer, it just seems a little disingenuous. It's like you, it's like you're telling the audience you're trying to pull a trick on them. Like, oh, this movie isn't really what you think, but also Harley Quinn's in it. Like it just it just comes off as a little phony, and I think subliminally people notice that it's not anything anybody's talking about. Nobody's walking out of the theater after they see their favorite movie, and they're like, "Man, how about that Birds of Prey trailer? What a hack!" Like nobody's doing that, but it it does. It's weird, man. Like and and it's got an odd energy about it. I I'm not. There's probably a handful of reasons why this movie isn't doing great, and I guess we should get into the full review, and we'll talk about that after. But just a, yeah. just a, a strange thing, a strange attempt. 
a, sw- a swing at the ball to try to try to shift course a little bit, and I, I can't imagine it's going to work out for them at all. Yeah, right? yeah, that, that's the other thing. Even if this was, um, even if this is a better move, better tight, it's all like it's happened. It's our like opening weekend is its strongest weekend. It's only going to get weaker. Changing the title isn't going to save your movie. Yeah, uh, I mean, bumping Harley Quinn up to the front of it is is interesting and and a little underhanded i I hate when theaters do so or or studios do stuff like this pull pull tricks like this or re-release something under a slightly different title like it's it just seems phony and it it, it, i'm not into it but you know hey who knows maybe that maybe they'll turn out a a bigger weekend next week ha ha uh with that we should probably jump into our review like i said i'm gonna be kind of helming this one so uh the movie is birds of prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one harley quinn you know what a harlequin is? A harlequin's role is to serve. It's nothing without a master. No one gives two shits who we are beyond that. So, Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn is the story of Harley Quinn. And there's a little bit of Birds of Prey on the end. Uh, Harley Quinn has just broken up with the Joker. Yes, her main squeeze. Uh, They've officially snapped things off. They're no longer together. It's for real this time. And Gotham has just found out that she is newly single, which means Harley Quinn no longer is under the protection of our clown prince of crime. Uh, Finding that she has nobody to really help her out and a lot of people who are pretty angry at her for things she's done in the past, suddenly she's on the run. And she ends up getting tangled up with uh, Ewan McGregor's Black Mask, kind of a psycho villain character who really wants this really fancy diamond. And she's got to help him track it down in the next 24 hours or she's going to be brutally murdered. And in order to get there, she enlists the help of some local small time Gotham heroes, not quite Batman, but maybe the Birds of Prey, along with a, uh, a young girl, a young pickpocket, uh, and they make their way through Gotham in a most fantabulous fashion to try to save themselves and the city. I guess uh, <laughs> it's kind of summary kind of tapered out at the end, but it was pretty good at the beginning. And for what it's worth, I think that's pretty representative of the film. Uh, Andy, what did you think of Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn? Um. So there's a lot of things that work about this movie and there's a lot of things that don't. Um, Broadly speaking, we get a really great performance out of Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. She apparently has a very special kind of connection to this property. She really cares about this character and really wanted to redefine it from kind of her very sexualized version in, in Suicide Squad. And so we get this much more animated, zany uh, character. We get... Uh, we have really good action scenes. Uh, there's several kind of action setups in a police station and kind of a fun house, and there's some good car stunts. The uh, the action in this movie is really kind of over the top. It's, it's really good. So you, you kind of have an action comedy. You get a few laughs. It's kind of bleeding with style. Like, like she, it's like the movie is Harley Quinn, who's just this kind of outrageous, over the top uh, person, and uh, there's lots of bright colors and that's, and that sort of thing. 
However, there <laughs> there is a lot of issues, uh, mostly with the writing, the story, kind of the plot line that uh, reminds me a lot of like the Batman and Robin, Joel Schumacher, uh, Batman from the late 90s. So I, to me, it fails on a, on a narrative level, but it succeeds on a, on a lot of other places. Uh, we should talk about this when we get into it. I love that you also picked up on the Joel Schumacher vibes because I felt the same way. Oh, man. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah, I, I think this movie actually does work in a lot of places. Uh, a lot of the acting is really solid. The set design and costuming is really cool and really clever. Like, all of the costumes for these characters are really unique and interesting and bold. Uh, the colors in this movie are great. The action and choreography is fantastic. The fight scenes are good. The stunts are solid. Margot Robbie clearly cares about this character, and she's really invested in it. But, man... It just kind of misses the mark on a lot of other levels, and it just turns out to be less than some of its parts. So let's jump into this movie proper and, and what we're doing here. Um, first off, let's cover our cast, and we need to talk about our birds of prey. Of course, we have Margot Robbie playing Harley Quinn, who is really, really the main character. Despite the title, she is fundamentally what is going on in the movie. There's, there's really no denying it. Rosie Perez plays one of our, uh, our titular birds, uh, Renee Montoya. Mary Elizabeth Winstead in a surprisingly <sighs> nuanced, I guess, if I had a word for it, performance. <laughs> That's a word for it. As the Huntress. Yeah. Uh, Journey Smollett-Bell as Black Canary. Uh, all kind of, uh, not smaller actresses, but certainly not A-list. Uh, they, you know, they, they're they kind of kind of in the background in a lot of movies, so I was surprised to see them having a, a more central role in this film. We also have Ewan McGregor. As Roman Sionis, who is A.K.A. Black Mask, I don't feel bad in spoiling that because they tell you in like the first trailer, like it's fine. Uh, and we have Chris Messina in a surprising role, who I guess I'll kind of leave off. He, he's he's a henchman of sorts. Uh, uh, and yeah, I, I was. I guess it's worth just telling people what who he is, right? It doesn't. Yeah, matter. yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, Chris Messina plays Victor Zaz, who is another uh, uh, Batman villain. Um, so he he's kind of helping out our Black Mask character. And then we have uh, Ella, J, Ella J. Bosco as Cassandra Kane, a young pickpocket who kind of ends up getting tangled up in all this and, and, and helping out uh, Harley Quinn in her uh, kind of role. Um, like I said, a lot of smaller actors, really the big ones here are Margot Robbie and Ewan McGregor. Those are, those are our standouts. And, and the two of them really seem to get into the role. I, uh, Ewan McGregor is up and down, but his ups yeah. are good. His downs aren't great. <laughs> Uh, but for the most part, like the, the performances are pretty good. The, the, the really standout is Margot Robbie. She's she's she really g- gives it in this character. Yeah, like uh, there's a couple of dream sequences that are stand out where she just uh, has this amazing look and incredible kind of acting and expression. And there's, there's this whole thing. It's funny because it's it's a scene from the trailer where she's like reaching out and crying, and then we finally see the scene in in the film, and it's it, she's crying over her egg sandwich that got dropped. And I was like, I can I can relate to that. It's true. Uh, um, um, it's good acting so, over an egg sandwich, man. There's <laughs> tears and everything. Yeah. So so there's. Um, she's good. Yeah, to me, Ewan McGregor was he was kind of okay. Again, it was very much um, a cartoonish kind of villain. It wasn't he wasn't a serious like gangster or and he wasn't like particularly evil. You know, he was just kind of he's the, he's the big bad. Um, the the Birds of Prey. This movie kind of suffers from a little bit of few too many people that yep. only screen time. Uh, that being said, Rosie Perez I think is really good as the detective uh, Renee Montoya. Mary Elizabeth Winstead uh, to me. She, she was just awkward, and I think her character is supposed to be awkward. Yes, but she just seemed like too like in real life awkward. Like she she just could never kind of 
fit into this role for me. Uh, the other one, uh, Journey Smollett Bell as Dinah Lance slash Black Canary, I think th- did a really good job. Uh, she she seemed fine. Yeah, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who I like a lot, by the way. I think she's great, and and I've seen her in some really cool stuff. Twenty One Cloverfield Lane, uh, Scott Pilgrim, she's fantastic in like. Um, even like Swiss Army Man, she's cool in. Like, she can do a lot, but in this movie, like, they intentionally make her character awkward, and, like, when you're trying to go for awkward, you can really overdo it in a weird way, and it comes off as just, like, super forced and really strange, and, like, it does not... The chemistry just doesn't quite work, but I I think... I don't know. It is what it is. Like, I I think you're right. Uh, Ewan McGregor is good when he's good, and he's terrible when he's bad, so I, I... take it or leave it let's talk about a kind of plot uh like you said we we've got to juggle a lot of characters and i think that really hurts this movie our 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 birds of prey simply don't get enough screen time uh they just don't it's it's supposed to be kind of like an origin story for them like them yeah kind of coming together uh it's like the avengers essentially (laughs) right yeah but like because the movie is so harley quinn focused like they're just totally an afterthought they're absolutely an afterthought, which is weird because that's the title of the film. So, like, it's it's just a little disingenuous going in. Uh, and and we do get some good, like, some good, I don't want to say Batman well, the, stuff. You get well, some good comic books. That, go ahead. Yeah, well, part of the issue with the plot is there. there's just a little bit too much going on because they have all these, these the four birds of prey all have elaborate backstories. And uh, they're being kind of told by Harley Quinn and I know what they were going for. So they were like, Harley Quinn is kind of this crazy all over the place person. And so the story is also told in a all over the place way. Um, and I know what they, you know, they want to kind of put you in the mind of, of her character, but it just didn't work. It, it just kind of comes off as confusing and there's, there's too much going on and it's not enough, like kind of explained because there's just too many, plot lines all trying to weave together right your your kind of through line for the film is harley quinn right uh, pretty much immediately after she breaks up with the joker to vindication at the end of the film and defeating uh, or facing off with i should say our villain just like any comic book movie right you got your little origin you've got your ending where they've got the big fight in between there they have to introduce uh and and bring along three three or four different characters on top of introducing our, our hero and villain and, and getting them involved in the plot. And and it's just real, like, half-step, and it's non-linear. Like, there's a couple points where Harley Quinn will, just like Deadpool, very inspired by Deadpool, this movie, will, will kind of stop the film and say, hold on, let, let me explain how this character got here. And then it'll flash back to three months ago, or eight years ago, or four minutes ago, in one case. And it's just confusing, like, structurally. There's and, and there's little callbacks. Like, at one point, she, towards the end of the film, she makes, she, she kind of delivers a punchline from a joke way at the beginning, which kind of lands. At another point, about halfway through this movie, a character walks on screen, and, and with voiceover narration, Margot Robbie says, oh, yeah, you remember this guy? And I'm sitting in my seat like, no, I have no idea who that is. I, I can't remember. Like, you, you've been jumping around too much, mm-hmm. which makes it confusing. That wasn't fun. Yeah, um, and I wanted to mention, sorry, Chris Messina's character, who I I couldn't remember where I remembered him from. Uh, he was in Sharp Objects, the HBO's uh, series, is where ah. I remember him. Uh, Victor's ass. So they like his whole thing is he he has all these scars on his body, and they basically are he has a scar for every person that he's he's killed. That's like his whole Batman thing. Right. Uh, he he is briefly in The Dark Knight Rises, um, in one of the jail scenes. Oh, I wonder, same character, maybe. Is that a 
No. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, it's the same character. It's it's not yeah, not the same actor, same character. Well, I guess we just uh, I guess we it, just tied this universe to Dark Knight Rises. That must be the same. <laughs> well, it's you know it's it's bringing that uh, just a hint of that character, but he he's kind of like you said, he plays a weird henchman instead of like I thought he was gonna kind of be the right. I, I guess just like the other bad guy, but he's just kind of he's just a henchman. Right, Victor Saz is like a relatively strong villain character in the Batman comics, like. Batman will face off exclusively against Victor Zaz in, for, in certain cases. It hasn't happened in the films, but in this movie, he's just kind of reduced to like, hey, he's he's like a henchman guy. Like, all right, I guess that's, you know, an eccentric henchman. Neat. Um, there are a lot of henchmen in this movie, though, and there's a lot of fight scenes in this movie, and the fight scenes are pretty good. I'll be honest. The fight scenes are one of the things that work. There's a lot of choreography, a lot of long take stuff, and you can see Margot Robbie, like, working it, man. She had to do a lot of flips and jumps, and I'm sure they, they had a whole list of stunt stunt people in the credits but like for what it's worth there's a lot of slow motion a lot of cool camera work like i was really impressed it wasn't just a ton of quick cuts that you can't see what's happening you know yeah there's a lot of really cool sequences uh there's one at a police station uh where harley quinn is trying to break someone out and uh she comes in and she has this like uh it's like a little grenade launcher but it has um like like her bullets they they don't they don't explode they have like glitter and like yellow paint and different things that are very very much like in her style yeah um and and she like kicks and punches her way way through uh, as well and there's several scenes like this there's there's a couple of chase scenes with with cars uh as well the the stunts in in this movie are top notch the action is is top notch yeah, and, and and it looks fantastic. The set design and the costuming, uh, I know I mentioned it earlier, but is is really cool, man. Uh, just to jump into the costuming first before we get into set design. Uh, every character, our birds of prey, they don't look like out of place in Gotham, which is not an easy thing to do. I, I know we've seen a lot of comic book movies, and it seems like, oh, you can just drop comic book heroes and villains anywhere in a city and it'll work. But no, it's it's tough to, to make that work. And Harley Quinn has the most outrageous outfits and like, Somehow it comes across. I guess her personal style, uh, Robbie's confidence on screen, like sells it, and it works, and it doesn't come off too weird. Even her, even her super pale Charlie Chaplin skin, isn't that strange. Each one of our birds of prey has kind of an interesting, fun outfit, except for Rosie Perez. She's just like a cop, so she's pretty basic. <laughs> but like, each one of them looks interesting and cool. Uh, Journey Smollett Bell has like a cool haircut and like multiple costume changes in this film. Um, that paired with the set design, which is tremendous, uh, towards the end of the movie, some of our big fight scenes, even out the early fight scene at the police station, that stuff is super rad, and it looks cool, and it all looks legit, and you know it's probably all shot in a studio or on a green screen, but, like, man, somebody put a lot of time into making those, like, locations look very rich and interesting, um, <laughs> leading up to a, a straight-up Schumacher-esque fight at the end <laughs> of the movie with, like, wild lighting and, like, a million bad guys and... and crazy like set effects and like these weird things our characters are hopping around on harley quinn's on roller skates and like some crazy stuff but it's a lot of fun to watch like it's it's you know it's it's fun fun that's a good time at the movies yeah it's definitely fun and unfortunately i think for me because the plot is all over the place uh, it means that a lot of the characters are also kind of all over the place and you just you don't really connect with them very well even harley quinn you know he you you know she's supposed to be going through this big breakup and the Joker and I don't know why a lot of the movies do this but it's <laughs> the Force Awakens does this problem where a lot of the interesting things 
apparently happened before the movie started and they discussed them in sequel. And th- this kind of has that same problem uh, where kind of th- how the Joker and Harley get together is a really interesting thing that is never really explored. Like they talk about it, you get you see some flashback scenes, but those would be some uh, really incredible like film. Or I thought we were going to get some of that in the film where we get the backs, where we get how they got together, the problems with their relationship. And then it just like, it just sweeps it all like in dialogue and moves on really quickly right i think the movie is trying really hard not to just be like the joker v batman show Um, of course so you're not going to get any any jared leto joker in this movie uh and and you know you watch it for yourself and see if batman turns up but i think it's trying so hard not to be that that it explicitly avoids that stuff Our, our our origin story for harley quinn is limited to an animated sequence in the beginning of the film it's a couple minutes long and then you get maybe maybe 10 seconds of footage, probably like five or six seconds of footage total for like Joker and Harley origin story with like the Acme Ace chemical plant and stuff. And like that stuff is so cool and has never been done on screen. And that's all we get of it. Like, it's really a shame. Mm -hmm. I felt like they, they wanted to stick it in because it was important, but like they just couldn't figure out what, like how to do it. And so they just kind of left it out and and that's okay. Like, I don't want to tell, you know, I, I can't slam this movie for what it isn't, but um, man, yeah, you're right. Like it's it's just it spends so much time trying to kind of reinvent Harley Quinn as a character. You kind of leave off all the things that made Harley Quinn who she is, which are Gotham and Batman and Joker and this kind of larger plot. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know wh- why you would want to do that. I guess build your own universe around Harley Quinn or what? But in, in, well, in, in <laughs> go ahead. So I, w- I was reminded of the of what what Mark Kermode said says and he's because he, he said before if the actors look like they had a fun time making the film it's probably going to be a bad film and if they looked like they're not having a good time because they're working then it's probably going to be a great film <laughs> they, and they look miserable then you yeah know it's going to be great Oscar ex- gold exactly and and this film is is the former where it looks like everyone's in these elaborate costumes they're hamming it up on screen they're having a lot of fun. They probably had a blast making this movie, and but it's 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 got a, a lot of a huge amount of problems. It's true. We need to talk about the soundtrack. Um, very interesting soundtrack to this movie. Uh, very creative uh, stuff. The the kind of music choices here are outstanding. Uh, it reminds me a lot of like uh, 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 Hobbs and Shaw. Fast and Furious <laughs> presents Hobbs and Shaw. Where like a lot of that movie, I didn't really care about, but like pretty solid mix. You can probably bust that out on Spotify and have a great time. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I'm very impressed by all of that. Yeah, the the music choices are are a big big part of the the character and the style, and that's definitely a positive, and it helps kind of build the world in in the action for sure. Speaking of the style, what did you think of like kind of the Deadpool style? presentation where she's narrating things and it's meta and she looks at the camera and breaks the fourth wall and draws things on screen was that like i guess it's okay but it just feels a little like hacky because i've seen it before you know yeah it, it was all right It like i said i be i began to be confused where i was in the storyline because she does the jumping back a couple of times and then like by the time it all weaves together i've lost who I'm supposed to be paying attention to. Right. Um, but I, I do like her character and I do think that, you know, there is this kind of zany way to prepare, to present her on, on the screen, but it's, uh, in doing that, you've missed some other fundamentals of, you know, good storytelling. Sure. So before we get to recommendations, one more thing I want to know, uh, why is this movie absolutely bombing at the box office? You got any hot takes? Why, why are people not going to see this? So it, 
It's not a huge bomb. It is. It was projected to make fifty million. It's coming in at thirty-two, thirty-three. So it is yeah. a disappointment. It might have legs on on streaming. Uh, I think a number of things. Uh, I mean, first of all, it's a weak release. Although Deadpool was re- released here. Um, I, I mean, I think the the previews have looked cool, but nothing has been like, man, I have to go see that. You know, like when I think of things like like Joker or Logan or or Deadpool, some of these one-off things, like you see these crazy trailers uh, that are just really impressive and strike a certain tone, and you're like, man, that looks great. And while Harley Quinn looks cool, the previews look cool, it didn't look like anything I like had to go out and see. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the marketing <laughs> was just a little lukewarm. Uh, I think it's definitely following Suicide Squad, which did not do great. So there's going to be people out there who just don't want to see it just because of that. I, I think... It's just in a weird week, you're right, nobody's really going to see it, and ultimately, like, the trailers just don't really show anything that's particularly captivating. You're just like, oh man, I gotta go see what that's about. It's just like, oh cool, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a, a comic book movie, we've seen a hundred of them. You know, it's a, you yeah, really, yeah. It's a problem with, like, if the movie is weak, then you're gonna have a hard time making, like, a great trailer out of it, or, you know, yeah. a compelling reason to go see it. I think you're right, and and I keep thinking of, of a movie like Shazam, which was also DC, and, like, what worked there, and, like, it just looks so much more, like, it's just a totally different feel of like comic book energy and like it's funny and goofy and this kid turns into an adult and adult turns into a kid like you haven't really seen that yet but this you're just like yeah it's more superheroes and bad guys you know like you just got to do something to stand out a little bit and it's a bummer that it's not standing out because I think this movie has a lot to, well, at least a little to say about things like female empowerment and 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 going against the system you know and teaming up with your enemies and like that's all kind of cool and fun but like Nobody's going to see it, you know? Yeah. Well, when you think of the big kind of comic book movies that are popular right now, they're, they are, you know, a little bit more serious, a little bit more gritty. When you think of, you know, Joker just won a few Oscars o- over the weekend. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, uh, as well as, like I said, things like Logan. Or if you look at ahead to something like the Black Widow film that comes out in May, that, that has a completely different uh, tone to it. It looks serious. It looks like you got some serious characters and you're gonna have a lot of action in that stuff too. But like that looks like a character driven thing. Like I said, this looks a lot like those, <laughs> those campy Joel Schumacher films. Sure. So I'll be interested to see how this movie kind of lands in the larger Batman universe after Joker. I know there's a lot of deliberation whether or not this movie is going to be PG 13 or R Joker comes out and it's huge, obviously. And then they shortly after announced this is going to be an R rating. Um, it really toes the line. It could have been PG-13, like, uh, but it is what it is, I guess. Uh, it's worth noting, Andy, I didn't know if you know this, uh, Christina Hodson, the woman who wrote Birds of Prey, is also going to be writing the screenplay for The Flash and Batgirl. So oh, right. That's right. I knew I'd seen her, her We're getting more of this stuff. Yeah, like it or not, whatever's going on here. She also wrote Bumblebee, though, and hey, that was, that was really big, so who knows, man? Uh, only time will tell. That being said, Andy, would you recommend... Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Uh, I would recommend it to certain fans. If you're a big comic book fan, like like I am, big fan of comic book films as well as the books themselves. Um, I think you'll enjoy it. It's always fun to see that being brought to life. If you happen to like Suicide Squad, or if you're a big fan of Harley Quinn, um, or if you like action comedies that aren't too serious, I think you're going to like it. Otherwise, it, it does lack some, you know, kind of good fundamental storytelling, a cohesive narrative. Uh, so I would probably save it for streaming in that if you're not a, a huge fan. I'm in the same boat. Save for streaming. Don't go see it. Like, it's 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 worth a watch, I think. I think it's fun, and you could do much worse watching comic movies, but, like, 
it, there's nothing there that that's like, oh my god, you got to go to a theater and see this. It's totally not. <laughs> it's not worth the price of admission. But when it's on streaming on a service you're already paying for, absolutely. Throw it on, watch it for two hours. Maybe you get a couple chuckles. I didn't, but who knows? Yeah, maybe maybe you'll get something out of it. Certainly, it's certainly creative film. So there's that. <sighs> anyway, we should move on to our next segment. Of course, uh, <laughs> this one's going to be a little long, so apologies for the long show. Uh, Andy, you want to kick us off here? It's time for the 92nd Oscars. <laughs> So this past weekend was the 92nd Academy Awards, uh, the Oscars. I uh, We're going to do this in a couple of ways. We're going to talk about the show itself and some news stories there, and then we're going to talk about the the winners. Um, I went to a, a, a watch party event and sat through the whole show, which I love to do, um, That which is probably maybe not, not resonating with a lot of viewers these days. Uh, I really enjoyed it. it. It had a good musical number at the beginning uh, with Janelle Monet, where she came out and did this kind of Mr. Rogers uh, thing to start the show, and then had a you know a bunch of song and dance numbers. Uh, really great start, and then we had this really awkward opening monologue with uh, Martin, not Steve Martin, and uh, Chris Rock, which. Oh, it was really cringy because they were like trying to do some, you know, kind of woke jokes and they were just falling pretty flat and you could tell it was really forced laughter and it was just not funny. Uh, but th- then once the show got going, it was fine and it seemed to move along at, at a pretty good pace. They they would in, they had presenters introducing one, sometimes two awards back to back. So that helped it move along uh they had good musical performances. There was a great performance by Adina Menzel and other, uh, where she sang Into the Unknown with other actresses in some other languages, which was really cool. We had a very surprise performance by Eminem doing uh, Lose Yourself. Yeah. 18-year-old um, <laughs> song, but, you know, sure. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. he, it, well, and it was great because it was part of this montage about the importance of, of music and film and songs and original songs in film. And then he just kind of came up out of nowhere and it was a big surprise. And he, which he did win the Oscar in 2002, 2003 for Eight Mile for Best Original Song, which yes. he did not attend those awards out of like some weird protest at the time. Um, so he was, he, uh, he, the musical performances were good. <laughs> Randy Newman kind of uh, uh, mumbled his way through his, his song. Mandy Ruman, yes, yes. <laughs> um, and then uh, Billie Eilish uh, showed up and she did the memorial song in memoriam section and sang a really uh, heartwarming rendition of Yesterday. Um, and while we, while remembering all of the people that we kind of lost this year in Hollywood. Uh, so it, it was over, it was a great show. It did go long with three and a half hours. Um, and we had a lot of really, uh, you know, it actually went most, most of the winners were people that we either thought or we wanted to win. So it actually, uh, we felt like they nailed it this time. We'll talk about winners more in a second. Um, Zach, why, why don't you bring up this, this first Netflix story here? Sure. Yeah. So regarding the show and before I get to it, I do want to know, Andy, you were at a, a watch party, right? They had. Uh, Oscar bingo, right? You had a bingo yes. card. Did you, did you win? How'd that pan out? You know, I, I, I got like four in a, in a row, like really early, like within the first hour. And then sure. I just could not, by the time I needed, like, I think it was like a Joker win or something, but it, it just took all, because he did, they didn't win till later in the evening. So all right. the prizes were gone by the time it came around to me. That is so lame. Were the cool prizes? What are you? 
I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if I, if I, I think, got one, I'd be able to tell you. I think you. they were gift cards or something. All right. Well, that's, uh, hey, the, the charm of bingo, right? Uh, the late, old lady luck. Uh, yes. So regarding how the, the show went, it's worth mentioning Netflix. Obviously, a big contender at the uh, at the Academy Awards came up a little short. Uh, they'd gotten a lot of nominations. They did particularly well at the Golden Globes, but they walked away with only two wins uh, this year. Uh, the Irishman did not get a single one, which is crazy because it was nominated for a ton of things. Now, for Netflix, winning at the Oscars is a big deal. I know it's a big deal for anybody, but particularly for companies who are streaming-centric like Netflix – it's important because it kind of legitimizes them a little bit, you know, to all the theaters and all the studios who are like, well, we're not going to put things on Netflix. And it was a Spielberg who said Netflix is super lame. Like yeah. every time they win an Oscar, right? An angel gets its wings. Every time they win, it's like, hey, we're, we're real movies just like everybody else. And of course they are. We talked about it on the show before, but they, they want to they get some wins in. And man, they, they just did not do awesome this year. That was a great year at the movies. So I understand you know, hey, there were some big contenders, but what do you, what do you think about this, Andy? You know, it's interesting because it's the same group of people that nominated them that also are snub, kind of snubbing them at the awards. <laughs> so that kind of doesn't make sense. But it's it's interesting. I've been listening to a couple of uh, I've been listening to the Vanity Fair uh, podcast about awards season, and there's like you know every week you know there's a bunch of other awards that happen and like different movies will gain or lose momentum, and uh, something like The Irishman just kind of fell out out of favor it you know was this big deal big 200 million dollar thing that that netflix took on but then it was just it, it kind of lost interest uh maybe because i mean there's a certain bias that a it was a netflix release and not a theatrical release i think that does have some some merit to it but also just it's an older kind of film it's a film by a very veteran filmmaker who some people you know don't think that he's do really did really did anything new with the Irishman. I I disagree with that. I think he kind of has taken that genre in, in a new direction. Um, but yeah, it's it's a very it's a very different landscape for Netflix winning versus just being because they had uh, I think twenty nominations or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but between all all the movies, so it, it's surprising that they didn't come out with more. It's also worth mentioning that the Oscars did not do awesome in, as far as the ratings are concerned. Those old Nielsen ratings, right? What a bummer. Uh, apparently, they lost 6 million viewers from last year and set a new all-time low in Academy Award ratings. 92 years, and the 92nd year is the worst year so far. Bummer. Uh, I've got some hot takes as to why this is, but Andy, I'm curious, why do you think the Oscars didn't do so good this year? Well, what's interesting is last year they had like the the highest ratings that the show had had in like five years. So last year's viewership is kind of up higher than normal. So the drop this year isn't as drastic as as it seems. Um, But I think, you know, in an age of of streaming, who's watching TV, you know, and we've talked about like we... I had to go to an event, like we'll go watch at a bar to see this. I couldn't watch it at home or I couldn't stream it anywhere. So, and like you didn't watch it because of those reasons. Um, so I think that's definitely hurting it. Right. I, like many others, watched it through Twitter. And that doesn't mean I watched it on Twitter. I just waited for people to tweet about it. And then that's what I saw. Um, I've complained about this forever. I'll, I'll complain about it till it happens. Uh, the Oscars need to be streaming. It, it, yeah. Where you're, you're airing movie talk on television and and we live in an age of streaming services like there's no reason i shouldn't be able to go watch these things on facebook or twitter or or or, that it should be that easy 
I'm not saying you have to run my show, you have to run the Oscars through Facebook, but like, why not? I don't know. Partner with Netflix and run a live stream. And if you have a Netflix account, you can watch the Oscars and the Oscar and Netflix would pay into that or something. Like there has to be an easier way. We live in the age of Spotify where if I want to hear a song, I go to a site and click it and it just starts playing in full and I don't have to pay a dime. Why do I have to have a cable package to watch the stupid Oscars? Yeah, like in the age of on-demand everything, how is this not on-demand? Because that's what I would have gladly shelled out 10, 20 bucks to be able to watch the show at home. Sure. You know, yeah. um, so the ease or of access is definitely a problem. That said, apparently the Oscars is still the most watched award show over like the Grammys and Golden Globes. So there's that comparison as well. It's true. Yeah. Short of like the Super Bowl, I think it's still like the, the second most watched television event all year. Like it is still a huge deal. And just because they didn't do as well as last year, they're still going to get a ton of people watching and they're going to get a ton of ad dollars. And that's neat. That's great. But like. ABC, where this all runs, is owned by Disney, and Disney has Disney Plus and Hulu. Like, how have they not figured out a solution for this yet? I don't know if they have, like, affiliates they have to please or, like, what what the deal is, but, like, there has to be a better way. You know, you want to talk about low viewership. The, the problem's not your host. It's it's not your format. It's it's not even really categories that take a long time to get through. It's, it's that it's not available to people. It's too hard to get to. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you... Like you said, you watched it at a bar, right? Mm-hmm. Technically, in Nielsen ratings, that counts as one viewer, even though there were multiple people watching. Like, there's a better way to do this. It's devices, damn it. That's the way. Yeah. That's what <laughs> well, I think. Um, and, and also, it's just, like you said, how how is it not on demand? How is it not? Yeah, just easier to, to access. Yeah, I should be able to get on Facebook when, when it's running, and the first thing that shows up on everybody's timeline is the Academy Awards Watch Live Now with a live button on it. Like, it should... And, 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 uh, I mean... I'm not saying, again, it doesn't have to be on Facebook. It should be that easy. It should be two clicks away at any point to watch this thing. Like, it's it's ease of access. That's the problem, I'm convinced. But what mm-hmm. do I know? I'm just a kid running a movie podcast. And with that, let's get into our winners, right? Uh, I've got a great little summary of who won what, but I don't want to give it away. Andy, uh, how do you want to split this up? Oof. Um, I think we just go th- uh, through through the category well why don't you actually why don't you do the summary and let's then do we'll the get summary. into, into yeah, details yeah. all right well then let's jump into it uh, our south korean favorite film parasite led the ceremony with four awards big stuff it is the biggest winner of the year i can't believe it i'm still stunned uh 1917 sam mendes's british war film about the first world war won three awards and that was kind of scoped out to be the favorite i think ford v ferrari joker and once upon a time in hollywood each took two awards and our best animated feature went to toy story 4 we'll talk about that in a minute let's get into who won what i think that's the best place to go and our first place is of course best picture uh and you just want to i'll take this you take the next one is that the way to do it uh sure why don't you talk about this and director at the same time though yes best picture and best director two categories that don't often run in the same don't often go to the same winner and and maybe probably should did actually go to the same place this year the best picture film and best director usually go hand in hand fundamentally uh and this year it went to parasite which is crazy parasite won best picture is the first non-english film in history to win best picture at the oscars uh, Bong Joon-ho, of course, is very excited to, to accept the award along with the cast and a bunch of the crew and producers. Uh, he also accepted the Best Director Award for Parasite as well. Crazy, man. I, I We talked about it on the last show. I was hopeful of that one. I did not think it was actually going to win. That is wild. I, I 
when when he won uh, director because I do director before picture, you know, I thought, well, m- maybe, maybe. I, I thought maybe 1917 would then win Best Picture because I'd like okay they're they're gonna kind of do one or the other right um, but he he got both he got the the big two award Best Picture Best Director historic moment again the first time a foreign language film has uh, won that that award and uh, it goes without saying he also won for uh, international film formerly uh, foreign language film yeah. uh, category. Um, let's move on to uh, actor the acting ones went exactly like we thought they would yes. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix won for Joker and gave a, a long speech. Uh, Renee Zellweger for Judy also gave a long rambling speech. Um, best director went to Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which we, I mean, th- these were not a surprise to anyone. Uh, Laura Dern won for Marriage Story, getting one of the only two Oscars for uh, Netflix. I think I was reading a variety article like, a couple hours before the Oscars rolled in, it was like, here's our picks. And like, they straight up picked all of these perfectly. And I think we just about did too. Like it, 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 it was almost too easy. It's not to say the other nominees weren't good, but like these performances just kind of jump off the page at you a little bit. These characters, um, they're fantastic. Every one of them. I, I loved them all. I'm so excited. Laura Dern won from Marriage Story because her character was so cool. Uh, and of course, I'm excited for for Joaquin Phoenix as well. Man, who'd have thought Joker would come out swinging, right? And it wasn't its only win. There's there's more to that. Yeah. Uh, let's jump into uh, what are you going to? I guess we'll do a screenplay and, and yeah. best animated feature. Yeah. Uh, so best original screenplay went to Parasite again. That was his third win. Uh, best adapted screenplay went to Jojo Rabbit. Taika Waititi, uh, the New Zealand comedy director, is now an Academy Award winner. Really wish we'd watched that one, but we'll probably get around to seeing it. Best animated feature was a heartbreak for me. It went to Toy Story 4. Uh, yeah. For Disney, of course. The House of Mouse is too big to beat. I'm stoked it didn't go to Frozen 2, though. My God, that would have been uh, a tragedy. I really wish it had gone to Klaus, but Klaus has been killing it at the BAFTAs and a bunch of other awards anyway. So, you know. Right. me. So this, yeah, so this is what was uh, kind of the surprising, uh, not not animated, but the two writing Oscars I was really surprised at. So original screenplay, I was really glad to see Parasite win it, but I I thought it was either I really wanted Ryan Johnson to win for Knives Out, uh, but also I thought maybe Tarantino would finally get his his writing Oscar, which he has kind of has been his his white white whale. So I I really thought that one of those two we're going to win. So I, I was really surprised, but also really happy for uh, Bong Joon-ho to win for Parasite. Same thing with adapted screenplay. This is the one that I was sure was probably going to go to either the Irishman or little women. Um, so Taika Waititi winning is, I mean, I'm just not familiar enough with this, with this film, but it, it was a big surprise to me. Yeah. It's, it's weird. I remember when they announced that movie after Taika Waititi did Thor Ragnarok and the third Thor film. I said, yeah, Taika Waititi's next movie is going to be a movie about uh, Nazis in Germany and a kid who's in Nazi training camp. I was like, Oh, right. It's going to be a comedy. It's like, well, that's going to be something. And now it's an Academy award winning film. So it's a little like suicide squad last year. You never know where these things are going to come out of the woodwork. Best international feature film went to parasite. Of course, Bong Joon Ho. That was its fourth one of the evening. And I should probably hand off to Andy here. Cause you know, I've been talking a lot. So. <laughs> right. Well, uh, before we get to best documentary, I want to also talk about, so I've heard this whole, this theory about, why best animated feature went to Disney and why it kind of continues to go. And, you know, it's this idea of protecting the institution of animation and basically also protecting jobs in Hollywood. Uh, And that there's this idea that you have to protect the big budget 
you know, billion dollar film that employs lots of people. I don't know how true this is or is this attitude is or isn't, but it's something that I've, I've heard discussed. Cause when you have things like Klaus and I lost my body, two things that came out on Netflix, it's, and that are streaming and aren't theaters. It's a very kind of different, you know, it's that Netflix bias. that might be coming into play. And same thing with something like missing link, which, uh, is the Leica studio, which is incredibly small. So I don't know how true that is, but that's definitely something I, I've heard this idea of, we got to protect the big budget Disney billion dollar animated film. Uh, I don't want that to be true, but you're probably <laughs> right, man. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I've heard from people, you know, you hear it every year. Ah, the Oscars is a popularity contest and I, you know, who, who knows, but again, honors to be nominated, I suppose. <laughs> Uh, so best doc- documentary feature went to American Factory, the one Crazy. that we watched. Yeah. Um, so I mean, a lot of that I think had to do with the fact that the former president o- Obama is involved uh, with that film, him and Michelle. Um, skipping ahead to uh, best original score, big surprise, but I was really happy to see this. Uh, Joker won. Uh, Hildor wanted to door. <laughs> I'm never going to get her name right. Um, <laughs> one, at, I was I was surprised at this. I figured it would go to either um, Little Women or 1917. Star Wars shouldn't honestly should not have been on on there at all. Pretty pretty <laughs> like this. Is, I can't believe I'm saying that, but but it yeah. was pretty forgettable. And Marriage Story, I can't even I didn't even know there was music in that movie. Right. Um. So big so big surprise there. I did I did not expect that to win, and I'm really glad I did. Only the third woman to ever win, uh, for best original score. Yeah, and it's really indicative of how strong those those kind of somber dance scenes in that movie are because they they come out swinging so good like when it when it gets to it and Joker you know like they're it it enhances the movie in such a great way it's hard not to not to deny that it should be at the top of this list so uh best original song went to I'm gonna love me again from Rocket Man didn't see it but it won the Golden Globe so I guess there's no surprise there uh well I guess I'm a little surprised that Frozen 2 didn't, didn't take one away uh you know or Toy Story 4 because they both been in that category Randy Newman again somehow makes this list who does he know like who <laughs> who is he in good with I don't get it I, I I heard the this this joke that like when he was up there doing his song because he performed it, it just sound like he was like making up the, the lyrics on the spot because it's just <laughs> some sort of mumble does it really keyboard yeah but yeah. yeah my god uh best sound editing went to ford v ferrari i i don't want to say this is like a like, like a courtesy category or anything but like man <laughs> i mean the, the technical awards i mean sure yeah who doesn't love that and and there's a couple of the technical awards in here that are fantastic but i'll let andy kind of take the baton from me here yeah, so uh, like Zach said, Ford v Ferrari won for best sound editing, and then 1970 won for best sound mixing. Uh, th- this could have gone to either or, uh, but those are definitely and th- those films did have incredible sound. Um, and just to because I had to look up the difference uh, between these, best sound editing is is when they go and actually get these sounds or create the sounds to be used in the movie. Sound mixing is the actual editing of putting, you know, once you have the sounds and putting them to the film. This is this, these two categories are more and more, the process is the same or it's all done at once. Whereas it used to be two wildly different things. So there's talk of these two categories kind of uh, becoming uh, one. And that, that leads us into best cinematography, Roger Deakins for 1917. Oh man, dude, I, I love Deacons. Deacons has been making movies since <laughs> 1982, and he's never won a single Oscar until last year when he scooped it for Blade Runner 2049, and then he takes it again this year for 1917. That man is making the most incredible films. It's weird because when I was in 
film school, man, back in like 2011, people were telling me, hey, have you heard about this Roger Deakins guy? Deakins is great. And I was like, who? What are you talking about? And then it turns out, oh, he shot all these incredible films. And also now he's doing this stuff like he's he's really good, man. He might be one of the best in the business right now. He's he's real sharp. So watch out for Roger Deakins and go <laughs> check out 1917 and Blade Runner. My God. Uh, for best production design, this is where Tarantino did uh, shine. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood won, won for that. Um, Bombshell won best hair and makeup uh, because I guess looking like Fox News <laughs> a- anchors is impressive <laughs> to hey, someone. Charlize, Charlize Theron had that Megyn Kelly makeup on, man. That's a whole thing. They had they had prosthetics and stuff to make her look. No one saw that movie. I <laughs> Andy, Andy, come on. <laughs> Just, we didn't see it. Yeah. Uh, best costume design went to Little Women. Uh, this, which is no surprise, uh, yeah. great, co- great costuming for the the time, you know, period piece. Right. Um, and again, more technical awards. Best film editing went to Ford v Ferrari. Um, th- no surprise there to me. Best vid- visual effects. I didn't know where this was going to go. Went to nineteen uh, seventeen, which did it. It's hard to think of it as vi- vis- to me. It was more like a set design thing, but sure. Uh, they did win, and I was surprised that because I, I kind of expected Avengers or maybe Star Wars to to take this one. Yeah, these two categories were a little bit of a surprise for me. Film editing, I thought would go to Parasite, just because there's some sequences in there that are just so tight, and the rhythm is so good, and like you just you just fall under the spell of that movie. But I I definitely was excited watching Ford v Ferrari by some of those sequences. So you know, hey, sure, I'll throw it to it. Visual effects is a surprise for me, if only because. Uh, three of the five nominees here are Disney films. Avengers Endgame was huge, and that's certainly not an easy movie to pull off. Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, also has a lot going on in it. And Lion King, a little bit of a kick in the pants, man. I'm glad that movie <laughs> didn't take it. Good. Like, I, I would have been bummed if it was like, oh, The Lion King. Like, come on. Like, stupid Disney live How? action were better than that. I don't think it should be allowed to be nominated for Best Visual Effects if it's technically an animated film. Oh, I know. It, it's a whole thing. Yeah, the Golden Globes kind of suck it in anime. I, it, like nobody knows what to make of that movie. I'm glad. Good. I the the, the old the older one's better. That's my that's my hot take. My uh, my my <laughs> my boomer opinion. Uh, and with that, um, just kind of wrap this up. I guess are we. I don't know, Andy. How do you feel about the whole thing? You know, I th- I think they they got it right this year. Some years they do, some years they don't. Last year. Big oof. The year before, really great. And and again, I think this year they, uh, the people that won, th- that both that we wanted to win and deserve to win actually won instead of, you know, because there were a lot of favors that 1917 was going to take a lot of the big awards and it went to, to Bong Joon-ho, who is, that Parasite was the best film of last year by far, definitely deserved the award. And hopefully Hollywood kind of keeps in this direction of really trying to recognize the best film and not just the, you know, the town favorites. Like I was glad that, you know, Scorsese and Tarantino as great as they are, they didn't have the best films of the year. Uh, how <laughs> do you think Martin Scorsese is going to start drinking again after, uh, the Irishman getting 10 nominations and not winning? <laughs> I don't think it won any, right? Like didn't win once. No, no. I mean, it's, yeah, it didn't win a Second single most thing. Nominated film, and I mean, y- you know, there was a reason he couldn't get this film made and it's because it was a $200 three and a half hour thing. Like, you know, maybe it was a little bit too, a little bit too indulgent. And I, that being said, I think, I think that is, a, I think it is one of the best movies of last year. And I think it is kind of a, a big step forward in the, the gangster genre, kind of the end of the gangster genre, if you ask me. Um, but I'd like to see him move on and do new things. 
He's already yeah. just got his next movie lined up. Yeah, maybe he can make one of those uh, amusement park films, right? Like he talks about uh, <laughs> yeah. in a comic book movie, but I'm sure he'll be fine. It seemed like a good night all around, man. Even even Bong Joon-ho was, was thanking Martin Scorsese for inspiring him on stage. Like, I don't know, pretty pretty good year at the movies. I'm I'm pretty pleased with the 92nd Academy Awards, even if the ratings weren't that outstanding. That's my that's my hot take. Yeah, I'll be watching next year. Of course you will. Uh, and with that, we should move on to our final film. Didn't we used to? Now that we're here, did we used to just do one movie in the Academy Awards? Apparently, we should have. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah. what I was just thinking. All right, next year maybe we'll do that. But it is what it is. I think we'll blast through Horse Girl pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy, please, you wanna you wanna kick us off here? Horse Girl. Happy birthday! So what are you going to do tonight to celebrate? Mm, I think probably I'll just go out with some friends from my Zumba class. You deserve to have fun. So this is a new release by Netflix. Um, This came out last Friday. Uh, this stars Allison Brie as Sarah, who's kind of who's a young, very cheerful uh, girl. She she works at an arts and crafts store. She has a love of horses. She has a love of uh, kind of supernatural mystery police shows, um, and she's really kind of awkward. But she's trying. Like she she has this roommate who uh, just kind of breezes by her when she comes in and out of the out of the apartment they're not really friends they're just kind of there uh she loves horses she goes she's she kind of helps um at this horse training or horse riding place um but uh, things aren't quite all right uh again she's really awkward she she tries not to be but she's um and and we don't really know why at, at first and we she starts to have weird things happen to her she um she like she'll wake up and she'll be a you know a block down the street away from her house or she can't remember large blocks of time um and she begins to get kind of paranoid and she doesn't know is there some sort of supernatural thing happening to me am, am i being spied on is you know what's kind of going on and as the movie go goes on we kind of get the the idea that that she is it's none of those things and it has it's more about kind of her mental health and mental deterioration and the the kind of unique thing about the movie is you get put into her position in kind of first person where you feel the things that she's experiencing are a hundred percent real, even if they're really not in the real world. Um, there's a lot going on in this movie. I think it had a great central performance by Alison Brie. Um, but Zach, what'd you think? I didn't like it at all. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, no, no, I didn't like it at all. Like, I wish I could. I wish I could say like, oh no, there's parts that work. Like, and there's, I mean, I guess there are, but like, it is totally like a Netflix joint for a reason. There's a reason this didn't come out in theaters. It's first off, I think it's experimental. Let's start there. Uh, uh, I think that's a good place to say that's what's going on in this movie. Uh, it's definitely a bit of a pet project for somebody like Alison Brie. This is her first movie, kind of writing uh, and starring in. So there, there's that. Um, uh, but man, I I I was not into this. It it just feels like it devolves into like trippy, experimental art house. Weird things are happening on screen, and it's like just a montage. And it's like okay, I, 
was not into it. Uh, and there's a few reasons why. That's not the only reason I'm not into it. Normally, I can kind of get into Art House, but this movie is a special brand of, of unsuccessful. Andy, what did you think of this movie? Uh, so... I thought it was okay. I, I think I probably enjoyed it a little bit more than you did. The first half is a little slow. It starts to definitely pick up about halfway through. Um, the, basically, there's all these surreal things that start happening to her, and they get more and more intense as the film goes on, and they also um, you know, begin to slowly reveal different kind of trauma that's happened in throughout her life and the film if anything it's it's about the kind of failure of the mental health system because at one point she does receive help but it's not quite enough and it's also you also realize that she doesn't she has no support network um you know her roommate just hates her basically and just is probably there because she pays the bills she does have a good friend in molly shannon's character joan who works with her at the arts and crafts but no one else really it's one of those things like no one wants to deal with it. Like her, her father's or her stepfather is played by a uh, Paul Reiser who just kind of shows up, misses her birthday, picks, picks her up um, when her, her car gets towed. And, uh, you know, clearly hasn't seen her in a while, drives a Tesla, gives her birthday card with like $800 in it. Uh, and is just like here, you know, and it's, you can tell it's one of those things like, I know I'm supposed to care about you, but I don't want to actually put in effort. Please just take this check and kind of be out of my life. And so th- that's kind of the, the sad thing uh, about this, it, it definitely is a sad movie. And I think it's about the deterioration of, of someone's mental health and their lack of support. And it, and I think what it's trying to do is put you in, in, in her shoes, like have the audience feel like she does. Right. So let's, let's jump into to, to what's going on in this movie. Um, th- there's, there's an aspect of it, kind of a large prevailing aspect that I think is probably good filmmaking, but I just did not enjoy watching. Like fundamentally <laughs> is difficult to watch. And that is how God gosh darn pitiful our main character is. <laughs> uh, it reminded me a little bit of Joker in that like n- not tonally or anything, but in that just this woman not only has no support system in her life, but isn't going anywhere, works a job she really doesn't seem to like has no friends and also has like kind of terrible childhood tragedy in the background. And then also kind of terrible things happen to her family. And she just has nobody in her life <laughs> and isn't like... going anywhere and is obsessed with the supernatural television. And I'm just like, Oh my God, I can't watch this. Like it is so pitiful and horrible. I just want to turn it off. Um, and that's just kind of our, that's our protagonist, ladies and gentlemen, that's our lead. Great. Mm-hmm. You get, 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 get a root for her. Like nothing, nothing goes well for this woman. You know, she lands a date, goes horribly. Like she, she, it's her birthday. Nobody turns out like just my God, you know, like I, I have trouble. I just, I just can't handle that kind of stuff, man. Like I need something a little bit more <laughs> endearing in my movies. What'd you think? Yeah. You know, now that you bring it up, it is, it's almost a little bit too tragic all around. Uh, and like I said, I, I can, I know what the, to me, like the, what the message of the movie, which is this thing about advocating for mental health and support and all that I thought was a, a positive thing. But I, I do agree that it's just kind of like sad thing after sad thing after sad thing. And, and like, it's called horse girl because like horse girls have this kind of reputation of being kind of weirdly into horses. And she definitely is that as well. But you find out kind of about halfway through that um, even, even with the horses, like she's not there, there was some sort of like accident or something not involving her, but involving another rider. And now she's 
they they kind of led her around the stables, but like you know, she's not allowed to actually get on a horse, or you know, she just kind of can kind of stand and watch. Yeah, like, <laughs> and and this is one of those things that that's a challenge in like film reviewing that I've never been particularly skilled at. So you know, that's my bad. Just because I have a hard time watching doesn't mean it's poorly made. In fact, because I have such a hard time watching, it's probably indicative that it's pretty good presentation wise. That it's it's so cringy for me to try to get into. I'm just like, oh god, I just can't take it. That's that's pulpy, right? There's something to that. There's something to be said about a movie that can evoke that kind of disgust <laughs> from a viewer. Uh, and this movie does that. Like, and and Allison Brie is, she plays this character really well, man. Like that that just kind of pitiful, like not not like a feel sorry for me thing, but like you totally do, like. She's she's really good in this yeah. role. Like as as writing it, you can tell she's really dedicated to the character, and she really she really dips into it. And like I I have to applaud her for that. She plays this character very well. Yeah, like she's she's has that like super super cheerful yet you you know everything's not uh, going well underneath the surface kind of thing. And when she starts to this paranoia of there's someone watching her or something or alien is it aliens or Bigfoot or the CIA or whatever it is. When, when she kind of succumbs to her paranoia, it's, it's startlingly convincing. Yeah. And and I think that's a testament to Alison Brie. Like she, she's a pretty diverse actress. She's done a lot of different stuff. Uh, looking at her, looking at her filmography, like it's hard to believe how many things she's been in. And I like her a lot and she's really good in this movie. It's worth mentioning she is one of the standout features in this film. If you're like a diehard Allison Brie fan, you're probably really going to enjoy this movie, even though tonally I really struggle with her character. And we should talk about kind of the descent into madness, because of course it's not just enough for her to have a horrible life and no friends and no family, but also she needs to be having lucid dreams and seeing crazy stuff now. That stuff's interesting. It's intriguing. It's presented in a smart way. Uh, It's hard to kind of discern what's real and what isn't as a viewer, which helps you kind of go along with our character who's also having that problem. She can't figure out what what am I seeing and what's being seen. Did my car get stolen or did I black out and leave it in the middle of the road, you know? That's kind of charming. And the way, like, the breadcrumb kind of approach to figuring out what's going on is very smart, I think. Uh, so I enjoyed that. And, and and the world we're in and her job and Molly Shannon is this kind of charming older co-worker. Like, all of that seemed to work really well. I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I I think there's a lot of unanswered questions of things that happen or like for instance uh, she wakes up and she kind of has a bunch of bruising all over her her body like her legs and her side and and then it's never really explained where all that comes from like she has kind of this vision of where she thinks it you know kind of involving the supernatural where these things but we never actually get the real answer of how did this actually happen you know and there's several things like that in the movie where her kind of her madness doesn't become tied to real life things like this is what she thinks is happening this is what actually happened that never kind of ties together right and what's what's so challenging about seeing this character just kind of get worse and worse off is that she's just she's just so charming and so nice you know she works this craft store and she loves horses and she's trying to be helpful and she's kind of obnoxious but she doesn't really fit in in society you know she's like a horse girl i get it um so, so when she starts having visions, like you just kind of feel 
more sorry for her. And then this stuff starts to bleed over into reality as she tries to like explain herself to people and they just look at her like you're absolutely insane because she's presenting as absolutely insane. Like, you really do feel an emotional connection to this character. For me, it was really just overwhelming. And I was just like, I just can't handle this. Like, I just do not like where this movie's going. I do not like the direction things are taking. It just seems like a spiral down and down and down. And there's not going to be anything to make it better. And that makes the ending particularly challenging. Because it really sets up some big stakes for our character. How do you... How do you find redemption when nothing is going right in your life? You know, how, how are things going to get better? How, how is this going to resolve itself? Mm-hmm. And ultimately, it doesn't quite get there for me. Um, you're right. It definitely has a bit to say about mental health at the end of the film and really kind of the failures of the mental health system uh, we, we've currently got. But I think it's, it's not quite heavy handed enough to really strike a chord. It just felt. It just felt a little film school. Like, it was just well, a little, like, mm-hmm. rushed and, like, okay, here's the end of the movie. To it me, did, anyway. Uh, yeah, what did you think? It doesn't tie all the all the parts kind of together. Her, you know, her job at the craft store, her, um, you know, her love of horses, which we see some scene. There's people that we see once, and then that's that's it. And they seem like pretty important people. Um, you know, her issues with her roommate, this guy that she just met and might, uh, you know, want to start dating. It, it fails to pull it all together. It, it, you know what it reminded me a lot of is um, Memento. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll take that. Chris Nolan film where, where you are put in, in the first-person experience of Leonard Shelby who has short-term memory loss, and so you experience the movie as him in, in short chunks that don't make sense until the very end. And that's kind of what we miss. We miss the the thing that ties it all all together and brings it all to one cohesive thing. Right. It just never really comes back around and and that's a bummer because as you kind of dive deeper and deeper into this mystery of what's going on with her you, you kind of start to wonder okay well what's the deal is she crazy or is the things she's seeing actually happening you know what's is the world wrong or is she wrong and to me I, what what comes out as the answer was not particularly satisfactory I think that's really probably the strongest draw of the film to try to figure out what's happening with this character so I don't want to spoil that um, but I was not particularly pleased with that result. How about how about you? I mean, did you feel like it came it came out to satisfaction? Um, no, I'm gonna say no. But also, it it reminded me of another movie, uh, A Beautiful Mind, with Russell Crowe, where you okay, know yeah. he he is also you know experiencing hallucinations. But you don't know that until the first until like halfway through the film, and when you find out, it's kind of mind blowing because. Uh, Paul Bettany is in that and he plays like his best friend and you realize halfway through the film he's not a real person he's an imaginary uh, person that Russell Crowe has made up and you don't know because he was presented as as a normal real thing and that's what this movie is missing it's if you're if you're trying to pull someone in to experience what this character is it's a little too surreal for the audience to come along with it. Right, it's just a little too much, and it's a Netflix movie. I mean, that's there's a reason. Like, it's it's not quite mainstream enough to land in theaters, and so it's 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 a it's it's a particular experience you're looking for when you watch this movie. And and there's parts of it that I I, I don't mind, and there's parts of it that I think work pretty well. But ultimately, like, I just was not. <laughs> I was not. I was not charmed. There's nothing I'm gonna like run out and tell the world about. Oh man, this movie just works on this level because it just doesn't quite accomplish that. If you're gonna make a movie like Memento or Beautiful Mind, man, it's got to be t- 
tight. It has to be a tight script, and you got to have everything down to a science. And being Alison Bree's kind of first foray into writing here, it's a, it's a valiant effort. I'll say that, but it's not quite good enough for me. I think if you're like a diehard diehard fan of her, or you're really intrigued by the premise, you might have a good time watching it at home. But I don't, I don't know. I, I just didn't quite get there. Um, I do want to talk about the soundtrack. That uh-huh. was actually intriguing uh the soundtrack is very electronic and very all over the place my god it almost sounds like there's really no melody at all but it's a series of just kind of synthesizer tones played reminded rapid, me of high, like high beats per minute very fast reminded um, me of donnie darko for some reason okay it reminds me of something and i haven't landed on what yet there's there's it's got that haze yeah it's it's a very like kind of weird postmodern mystical creepy kind of thing uh, that I actually really respected. And a lot of the things that are kind of dream sequences, lucid dreaming sequences, that stuff was pretty neat. Like I, I was into that. A lot of it didn't work, but some of it did. Um, and when it, when it really starts to get wild towards the end of the movie, that's when it just started to lose me entirely. I was like, okay, like I'm, 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 I'm not swept up in this enough. Like I, I haven't, I haven't been, really into this enough and I, I wish I had I, th- I think I would have enjoyed it more and maybe it's worth a second watch maybe I'd come around but I don't, I don't know that's, that's my it's my hot take I guess I think we're ready for recommendations I think we are as well Andy <laughs> would you recommend Horse Girl so I did recommend this to someone but I think officially it's gonna be a, a pass for me um, I only the person I recommended to to is a horse girl and that I largely recommended it to her based on title alone yeah um, it it was kind of like I said the first half is kind of boring and it's it doesn't have all the pieces there I see what it's going for and I see and I think that's a va- very kind of like valiant uh theme or kind of noble cause to be highlighting and going after but ultimately it just kind of doesn't work um so yeah i mean it's obviously on streaming if you, again if you're a big alice and brie fan uh, maybe check it out but yeah i'm gonna say pass yeah i think i'm in the same boat uh i think there's like you said there's probably a select there's a certain audience this movie is made for. I'm not sure it's for an actual horse girl. That might be a cruel joke you've played on her. <laughs> yeah, I know. You might want to shoot her a text when we're done recording here and be like, hey, by the way, don't actually watch that. <laughs> that might that might shatter your whole life. But like if you're real into like art house or like kind of mind bending reality stuff, like you might be real into this. And if you, you if you're all about Alison Brie, if you're in the Alison Brie fan club, you'll probably <laughs> love this movie. But like it's just a bit of a bummer. Like it's just a bit of a, a downer for me, and and it's definitely rated R for for language uh, and and graphic nudity, which is weird. Um, but you know, stuff gets weird in this movie. So that's what you're signed up for. For being on Netflix, I still think I might say pass. Yeah. I, I I don't think there's anything here you really dying to watch. Uh, maybe some kind of midnight movie if you're hanging out with your friends. I'd say at best. That's what we're going to be looking at. So that's Horse Girl, I guess. What an odd week at the movies. <laughs> yeah, completely. Man, the Academy Awards, Birds of Prey, uh, Horse Girl, certainly a time. Next week, we're going to be off, which bums me out because next week is Sonic the Hedgehog, Chillin' versus Villain. How could you not want to see that? Uh, but I'm going to be out of town uh, on the day we normally record. I'm not going to be back until 
a couple days after, so we figured we'd just probably take the week, take a break, uh, decompress from our Oscars hangovers, and uh, come back strong the week after. So uh, no show next week. I think the week after we're still working on what we're going to watch based on what's coming out. But it's maybe, a week. maybe Sonic. It's a week in February. It's it's why, Yeah, man, January and February. It only gets stronger as you come towards the end of the year. That's the bummer, but... Uh, if I would say go watch anything in the time you've got, uh, Parasite's supposed to come out in 2,000 more theaters because it just won. Yeah, that's won. right. So if you haven't seen it, I'd say go check out some Parasite. It's a fun time. Uh, Parasite's really cool, man. I, I would say go check that movie out. Uh, and any of the other Oscar winners, they're all fantastic. American Factories on, on Netflix and worth your time as well. If you enjoyed the show, drop us a rating and review, would you? It's polite. It's like tipping your waitress at the end of the night or waiter or cocktail host or whatever. Um, you know, it's, it's good. It's good podcast etiquette. I think you have no idea how much it helps us or any of the other shows you listen to do yourself a solid, do them a solid and rate and review every podcast you're on. Just throw them five stars. <laughs> including <laughs> us. <laughs> uh, that's the, that's, that's, that's what you want to do. Uh, subscribe if you can swing it. Or, you know, next time you're holding, like, I don't know, your your, your friend's phone, <laughs> subscribe to that. Commandeering. Like there I you do. go. They'll, they'll, nev- they'll never even know. Um, but thanks for listening, sincerely. We're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. We're around. You know, come come hit us up. Tell us what you thought of the show. Tell us what you thought of the Academy Awards. We'll read correspondence on the air. I'm telling you, we do it every time. And uh, if you're new and you've listened to the show for the first time, thanks for sticking around. Shoot. It's not easy. It's not easy to listen to an hour and almost 20 minutes of <laughs> two dudes talking about movies. Next we year, we definitely got to cut one movie. <laughs> yeah, man. Next year, we'll do Academy Awards in one movie. That's that's the way to do it. We know. We've done this long enough. We're on it. So from all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.